fear. There was 70% black and brown prisoners, all white guards. What could go wrong? Grab the guards, grab the keys. All hell broke loose. Guys were complaining about the basic things like toothpaste. A roll of toilet paper lasts you a month. The inmates were considered like animals. They beat you up in your cell and then they take you to segregation and sometimes you don't come back. Have the inmates made any demands? There are all kinds of demands for change in the whole world. This had to be mediated, otherwise it was going to end in disaster. They wanted to use those weapons. Put your hands in the air, and you will not be harmed. You will not be harmed. You will not be harmed. But that was bullshit. They want to kill us. We are men. He was waking up America. Somebody had to take a stand. Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm host, Jason Bray. And uh, in this special episode, I'm going to talk about uh, my experience this year sort of attending the TIFF 2021 Film Festival. I uh, do live in the province of Saskatchewan, which is fairly far from Toronto, Ontario. But due to uh, COVID the last two years, there have been uh, digital options as far as the festival goes. And even more so uh, this year, they ran a full festival, so it was impossible, to, obviously, to see all of the movies that I would have liked to have seen. But I did see uh, them, and um, many of them were very, very good. So this is going to be a show where I'm mostly giving positive mini reviews uh, to the films that uh, I covered. So very short overviews of each of the movies. From the festival, uh, I did un- unfortunately was not able to see the People's Choice winner, Belfast, directed by Kenneth Branagh, but I am looking forward to seeing that uh, in theaters when it comes out, uh, hopefully this November. And I did start off the festival with uh, a fabulous documentary called Attica. Attica is about a prison uprising that happened in the 1970s in upstate New York, and it is just a fascinating story that is told beautifully by director Stanley Nelson. And Stanley Nelson uses the actual eyewitness accounts of various people who were either inside the prison or outside the prison, and uh, the families of the guards and some of the guards themselves and the prisoners. And it does sort of take a look at the broader issues of the mass incarceration of African-Americans still to this day, but how uh, some basic needs were not being met, which led to this uprising. And there was a chance for a compromise that went horribly wrong. And then after that, we endure this horror story of the tragedy of Attica. So uh, I would highly recommend it. It was the only movie I saw on the first day of the festival. So that was my, my pick of the day. The next day was a, a movie called The Girl and the Spider. Um, and it's directed by Sylvan and Ramon uh, Zercher. It is a, a German film. It's the second movie in the trilogy. I unfortunately haven't seen the first movie, but I would certainly seek it out based on this experience. 
And it's about uh, essentially uh, roommates who are separating. The one roommate is leaving and the other person is staying. And it just takes an interesting, quirky look at all of the people who are helping with the move and people who live in this apartment building. The central performance by uh, Henriette Kinferis, who is essentially the roommate who's being left behind, is terrific. Uh, It's a complex performance. You watch her observing and in many ways causing a lot of trouble during this uh, 24-hour or so period that uh, the story takes place. There's really kind of absurd touches that felt maybe a little bit tonally off. There's um, a very strange sequence which involves an older woman who lives in the building dancing outside during a thunderstorm. But on the whole, I liked it, uh, particularly wanted to highlight its, its terrific sound design and its uh, art decoration or, um, or something else. And I would recommend that film highly. And I saw Gene Campion's new film, The Power of the Dog. And it's about two brothers in Montana. The one brother gets uh, extremely upset when uh, when his brother uh, marries a woman who uh, has had a child and is a, and is a widow. Many highlights of this film. This, this movie was actually kind of shortlisted. It was the second runner-up for the People's Choice Award. Lots of complexity. I can't wait to see it again. But powerful performance by Benedict Cumberbatch. He is um, nasty and scary, but then we kind of see that there are reasons behind his nastiness. Peter Dunst and Jesse Plemons, who are together in real life, are the couple. I have a few criticisms of the writing, I suppose. Uh, Jesse Plemons, who is very good in, in the early part of the movie, kind of disappears conveniently for some sections of the movie so that there can be some more tension between Kirsten Dunst, Benedict Cumberbatch, and and ultimately her son, who factors strongly into the second and third acts of the film. There's a lot of subtext, a lot of things going on. Uh, I don't want to ruin too much of it, but I would highly recommend this movie. As it happened, the movie that I saw would be my recommendation for the day. It's a Canadian movie called Scarborough, and it was the runner-up for the People's Choice Award. Uh, It's a a hyper-realistic look at low-income families in Scarborough and how they are trying to survive and kind of centers around a a bit of an after-school educational reading program uh, and this woman who has seen what the needs actually are versus having to fight the system for where they say, your only job is to teach people to read. You're not 
supposed to be taking care of um, other needs like food and that kind of thing, which is counterintuitive. So it's very good. Again, similar to The Power of the Dog, there is a sequence which I think is comes down with the film where we have a little bit of a, a false lead as to a crisis point that's going to happen and then something else happens and it seems uh, to me to uh, while while somewhat foreshadowed seems a bit convoluted but that's my only quip with a an exceptional film that people uh, definitely should check out and that was my of the day there, but I did see a fourth movie that day but I ended up having to see it in parts because my rental with this digital system ran out so I, I watched the end of it a few days later very unusual horror fantasy movie called Earwig about a girl who has ice cubes for teeth and there's this man who is taking care of her but he is in the process of giving her some sort of secret agency and very odd and there's a subplot uh, or almost a parallel plot involving a waitress in a, a bar who uh, the uh, the main character is attracted to, but then there's some tragic events that happen that make things difficult for them. I don't know if it's because I saw it late or if I saw it in, in fragments. It's one that I'd have to see again to create some sort of an interpretation. And, and it is, again, maybe a bit more like a David Lynch film in the sense that you maybe don't won't have all the answers. It might take a few times to try to speculate, and you might never completely figure it out. But it certainly is for those who who like the genre. They really enjoy this film. It's a, a Belgian and UK co-production. It is uh, in English. Uh, the actors speak English in the film. Almost a silent movie. A lot of a lot of atmosphere. A lot of the interpretation comes from body language and very much the the actors' faces. And it's uh, from female director Lucille Hadzlahalovic. Obviously, I uh, apologize for my pronunciation there. But it's a really neat movie, and I feel like it's one that uh, kind of deserves multiple viewings. But of the four, uh, Scarborough was was my pick of the day. On the third day of the festival, the uh, first film I saw is uh, a horror movie directed by Ruth Paxton called A Banquet. And it's a British, uh, almost exclusively female-led horror story. There are a few characters very much uh, kind of uh, secondary. Very slow burn kind of psychological and supernatural horror movie. The goal is that it's an allegory about a family uh, dealing with grief uh, very badly, um, but it revolves around the oldest daughter who goes to a party, and then she sees a new moon and then goes out into the woods, and when she comes back, she's not the same. She cannot eat, and if she eats just a little bit, it's going to make her sick, and uh, her then her mother thinks that she has an eating disorder, and they, you know, the doctors can't can't explain any of this. And it's very kind of frustrating. There's a bit of an allegory there for, I believe, um, kind of mental health issues there that's handled well. Lots of great imagery, great disgusting uh, the way it shows food and then shows food in a very kind of uh, unappealing and kind of horrific way from the beginning to the end of the film terrific sound design there's a, a scene with a dentist drill which is particularly grating and strong 
acting all around, wonderful cinematography. One thing I did appreciate is that of, of the few male characters there, there is this potential boyfriend character. In a lesser movie, he would be presented as a bit of a, a jerk or something. In this case, he's a very responsible, caring individual who in multiple scenes tries to tries to help situations. Um, so it was, it was a, a more positive characterization of a teenage boy, which we don't often get in films or necessarily in, in horror films. I guess my qualm with the film, I'm not going to spoil it too much, is is the climax. It feels the visual style is a bit different than what it had been throughout the movie. And the ending as well kind of is a bit un unsatisfactory. But you could do a whole lot worse. And this is a cool horror movie that appeals to my tastes. I, I do like slow burn horror movies. Sometimes a little bit more than uh, than the kind of more modern, fast-paced ones. So uh, I would have people check out A Banquet. Very unusual movie that I ended up seeing twice in the festival called Doug Doug. It's um, an Indian film written by Patrick Parit. Uh, and it's uh, a satire, basically, of religion in the sense that you could take a series of events and... Uh, somebody was uh, a god and there start to be um, some worship and uh, and kind of giving things up to try to worship a god which may not actually be uh, a god it has an sequence the first 10 minutes or so of the movie is is unbelievably interesting you know uh, shot beautifully edited beautifully and has this kind of unexpected uh, knockout punch but then after that uh, you know it I think it was is meant to be a little bit of a, a musical, not kind of a singing musical as much, but uh, it's big on montages. And there's just repeated images and montages, which felt like filler. It's not that long, but there's kind of like a terrific opening, a wonderful plot twist, and then everything kind of in the middle. And the stuff in the middle doesn't make it necessarily as as great a film as it potentially could have been. So between those two on that day, I, I, I think uh, A Banquet was the one that I uh, was uh, would uh, would recommend. But Doug Doug is interesting. So again, I am praising a lot of these movies, but I, I think, you know, bet between the two, I had less problems with A, a Banquet than I did with Doug uh, Doug. And then uh, next movie I was John Michael uh, McDonough's film, The Forgiven. And this is, uh, to me, a very timely and interesting film in some ways about a fairly entitled couple, British man played by Ray Fiennes and his wife played by Jessica Chastain, American. And while they're going to party and he is had he had been drinking earlier in the day he ends up hitting uh, a boy who was essentially selling fossils at the side of of the road and they somewhat try to uh, spin the the story into a, a different way and there's a lot of well probably a kid that nobody knows about which turns out to not be the case as the story progresses, we see Rafe Fine's character, who is very unlikable, very snobbish, go on 
quite a journey here when the, the boy's father comes to retrieve the body of his son and is then requiring uh, Ray Fiennes to go along to bury his son, which is essentially a dangerous situation for Fiennes, but he, he agrees and he goes along and it's a lot about, okay, if you do something like this, what are the consequences and what is kind of the logical punishment, if you will. And so that part was very interesting. Fines, I think, was a, was quite good. In fact, he's kind of in the this year on, on my, my short list for a Best Actor nomination for the film. Jessica Chastain is fine in it. Uh, she has some good scenes. There's a bit of a subplot when he goes away where she uh, with this uh, interesting and, and, and uh, younger man, another American. We also have some, some other interesting characters at, uh, at this rather amazing kind of 24-hour party that, that happens. Matt Smith being one of the most prominent as the man who um, owns this property and is trying to deal with the situation when fines and Chastain show up and this this death of this boy has happened. So lots of kind of moral dilemmas in there, some really interesting uh, scenes. The performance, one of the performances that I think is worth noting in this movie is the father of the boy. And father of the boy is played by Ishmael Kanater, who has some really emotional and powerful scenes where he's making some decisions about what to do with Fine's character when when he has his son's body uh, and is, is going to bury his son. So, And terrific kind of beginning and terrific ending. And it is, it is a movie that I enjoyed immensely. I also watched a movie called Montana Story, more of an independent film and it's about a son and a daughter who go home to uh, deal with the ranch that their uh, dying father has and uh, a bit of a bankruptcy situation with the ranch. The sister has a bad past with her father and she comes to say goodbye, but she's she's having to, you know, reconcile that this was not a nice man. Her father was not a nice man. And she'll end up staying when she hears that her brother is considering putting down the this horse that has been in the family for a long time named, named Mr. T. I'd say the writing's it's a bit formulaic. You will even if you you know don't see this movie, you probably have seen this movie. There's kind of clunky exposition as far as a big monologue. The, all of the, the family backstory. But the relationship between the two siblings, it, it kind of sneaks up on you and makes uh, the story a little bit more interesting than maybe it has any business being. Certainly there's some melodrama, there's a storm sequence, and there's a scene which seems oddly similar, reminded me to uh, Magnolia with a scene of Tom Cruise and Jason Robards towards the end of the film. A uh, similar type of seen with uh, the son and the father during the storm. I, I, I think, you know, the acting's okay. It's, you know, that scene isn't overplayed, even though if the writing kind of overdoes it a little bit. I was impressed with, with the acting. There is a 
really really picky stuff but some a few scenes involving uh the horse seem a little bit too staged but overall though it, it's it's a solid movie it's an independent movie so it certainly doesn't have the budget of a film like, like the forgiven for example uh or some of the others i'm going to talk about but it you it, it would be definitely worth uh worth checking out 911, this is emergency operator 625. I've just erupted. Okay, sir, I need to know where you are. Last name? Is this the fire department? No, ma'am, you've reached 911, but I can connect you to fire. Just hold the line. What does she look like? She was tall, pink hair, in heels. Hey, man, can you tell me how long it's going to take? 911, what is the address of your emergency? I just want to talk to you. Okay, I'm hanging up. I'm just out for a drive, sweetie, okay? Is there someone with you? Uh-huh. Is the person with know you called us? No. Who do they think you called? Your child? Yes, sweetie. Does the person you're with have a weapon? Yes. I need the color of the car, okay? When I say the right one, say it's fine. Red? White? It's fine. Is it a car? No, man. What? No, just yes or no, just yes or no answers, Emma. I'm sorry, I have to hang on. the phone right now. I'm gonna die. I have a woman who's been abducted. What are we looking for? A white van. That's not enough. Come on! Mommy? Man, just talk to your mommy. She's gonna be okay. You promise? I promise. You have air support available? Negative. Air support is grounded due to fire weather. There is a scared little girl whose mother has been abducted. I need a better location. I'll get it. How will you get it? I know Emily's with you. Where are you going? What's going on? Oh my god. Really, PD, we need medical immediately. What's going on? Is your seatbelt on? No. Is Henry? Mom. No. Put yours on. Now listen. I need you to pull the handbrake hard. Pull it. On the next day of the festival, I ended up watching uh, Antoine Fuqua's new film. This is the director of Training Day, as well as Equalizer and several other films. And it's one of two movies that was shot during the pandemic and had to find creative ways of dealing with that. And so in the sense, this is basically uh, that movie with a strong, strong performance by Jake Gyllenhaal who is a Los Angeles police officer who, for um, various reasons, has been demoted to answer 911 calls. And this is toward the shift and ends up, after a, a series of calls, getting a call from a woman who's claiming that she's being kidnapped by her ex-husband. And he goes to great lengths, crossing lines to try to help this couple's children, because the child's been left behind, and try to find this car and save this woman. And it is just an intense, beautifully acted film, wonderfully directed. Uh, I watched a QA and a uh, with John Hall and uh, Fuqua, where uh, Fuqua wasn't actually in the room with this due to some COVID protocols and was directing the movie remotely and doing, you know, kind of 20, 30 minute long takes. And uh, the film features 
voice acting from uh, the 911 callers, uh, just an all-star cast of folks there uh, in those scenes. And, and those scenes are, are beautifully done. But Hall to me, is, I, again, he would be on starting my, my list of best actor contenders. I hope the movie reaches a, an, an audience to the point where they realize how good he is. This is definitely one of his uh, best performances. And the intensity that he starts off with and how that gets more intense and trying to maintain that for an extended period of time was was really impressive. Very well-written film, and uh, The Guilty is definitely worth checking out. Here is the first movie I'm talking about. So, so far I would shelve all of those movies, and uh, and they've been great. This is, uh, to me, the worst movie I saw on the festival. is a horror movie called Dash Cam, directed by Rob Savage. Um, Blue Mouse is involved with, uh, with this film. It's a forced perspective movie using kind of an Instagram live type of thing with this lead character named Annie Hardy basically playing herself. I don't know if she's a YouTube presence or whatever, um, but she is just given random things and then she starts to wrap them. And so... Uh, and in very crude ways, she'll she'll rap. And she's, I, I don't know, for me, and maybe some other people like her, for me, she's an annoying personality, and I'm stuck with her through this silly horror movie um, for a long period of time. And I think if if had a better actor in here, then maybe it would have been kind of, maybe not the best, best forced perspective horror movie, but it would have been better because I would actually potentially care about the characters but in this case I, I didn't care about anybody she you know she's living in LA and then on a whim she goes to London uh middle of the night she goes and invades her her friend's house and she doesn't like her her friend's uh, girlfriend who doesn't care much for her and then she uh somewhat gets kicked out of the house she decides to steal her friend's car and do some some food deliveries because he does some food deliveries to, to make some money and end up picking up this this woman who and delivering her somewhere and it's it things go kind of ridiculous and wild after that. Some of the you know uh, makeup effects and the amount of blood and all that's interesting. But then we get into the kind of the sloppiness of the, you know, the camera, a lot of noise and screaming, and you can't tell what's happening. You're a little bit seasick. I imagine watching this in a movie would be, movie theater would be quite disorienting, which is the case with this subgenre, and that's that's fine. But if the material is interesting, I can usually get by that. But I, I wasn't that interested in this. There's no real payoff or explanation for what happens and it's just kind of a series of her going and trying to situations. I I think, you know, I, I don't know for sure, but I think they were doing some actual live streaming while they filmed the movie because it was it was um, mostly improvised, as Rob said in his uh, introduction before the film played. But but yeah, I, I, you could always tell when they were trying to get to another plot point because suddenly that live stream and the comments that would go along with it would disappear for a little bit and they conveniently reappear a little bit later on just to uh, kind of make it look like they shot the whole movie as a live stream as opposed to an intense and probably like four or five day shoot, but still it wasn't live streamed the whole time and I could sort of tell when they were trying to force the plot along a little bit. So I don't want to build it at the point too much. 
cam is not my thing, but I'll be happy to hear another opinion and, and other people that uh, enjoy this film. But dash cam to me was the worst movie I, I saw at TIFF this year. Okay, then my pick of the day, when and this is a day I saw several movies, was uh, a French film called Arthur Rambo by uh, Laurent Catat. And it's a about a, a writer, Muslim writer, who has this book out and is on the brink of a lot of success when it's discovered that when he was 16 years old, he created a personality called Arthur Rambo, who said some really extreme things uh, about all sorts of people, but in particular, uh, Jewish people and so anti-Semitic uh, in nature and he claims of course he did this as a kid to be satirical but to get attention in social media which of course is as social media has become more and more thing that is, uh, in adolescence people uh who are wanting to get noticed and get seen and and whether it's positive or negative but immediately the entire country turns on him and uh, the media is is after him. Publishing company drops him immediately. But there's a lot of kind of moral dilemmas and quandaries in there about this is the first generation who's used this. And so should this guy be canceled for what he wrote when he was 16 years old and the fact that he couldn't properly convey what he was trying to do? And then it's interesting to kind of see his with his younger brother and friends. He's a bit of a folk hero. And they kind of find that he was the only voice that they felt they had growing up in low-income, uh, kind of ghettoized housing in Paris. And the movie ends about perfectly. Nothing is really solved with this film. It raises more questions and it gives answers. But it is uh, certainly one of the, the, the most interesting movies I saw at uh, TIFF. And so that, that was my pick of, of that particular day. Uh, after that, I watched a documentary, Becoming Cousteau, uh, directed by and has features a little bit of narration by Vincent Cazelle, reading Cousteau's own writings. It's a very thorough look at his life. It's entertaining. Perhaps it's a little bit paint-by-numbers as far as a documentary goes. It certainly wasn't at the level of Attica, for example, but it does a good job of looking at the tragedies and triumphs of Cousteau's life, but a lot of it does focus, especially towards the end, on how prophetic he was in warning people about damaging the world and the environment going back to the 1970s and regrets he had about in his early days he was helped oil companies kind of mine for oil and then re-exploring places that he explored in the 50s and 60s and seeing the damage that had been caused uh, due to that action. Uh, it's an interesting if you're if you're curious about Cousteau, if you're a fan. Um, I think this is uh, not the first documentary uh, about him, but it was it was a worthwhile film to see. Another movie I, I liked a lot. I don't know why. There's a little bit of a hesitation to kind of move it into the great category, but a film I, I, I certainly enjoyed from Ecuador called Low Invisible. And Low Invisible is directed by Javier Andrade. And Andrade and Low Invisible is is about first we not not quite sure what's going on, but a very very rich woman comes home and she has a whole bunch of uh, a whole household staff and it's her husband and she has a son and we kind of find out that she's 
she had had a baby, but she had been separated and she's not able to connect with this baby. And as we go along, we discover that she has an extreme case of postpartum depression and several kind of mental health challenges. And she does have a bit of a problem with alcohol. She does a lot of running kind of around this estate by this golf course where, uh, where she lives. And that running becomes significant when security staff is, is following her and she sort of can't be left alone. And yet she's trying to find her, her way to recover. And it kind of shows how all of her, even with her friend, her relationships are, are, are quite dysfunctional. There's some really tough stuff in here and be a couple of triggering warnings for, for some folks about some of the scenes. Not a terribly ha- happy movie in any way, shape, or form, but uh, it is um, terrifically acted. And it also has some just uh, absolutely amazing cinematography from, from the beginning. That was my first note about how striking the cinematography is. And lead actor performance here, I just want to acknowledge here because there's a lot more that's kind of as opposed to said. She plays subtext very well throughout. And uh, the, the lead actor is Anna Hay Hull Nelson. And it's a really, uh, really terrific performance. People may be a little bit frustrated with kind of the, the last section of the film. I kind of enjoyed it. It was a little bit mysterious. It wasn't, uh, again, a a typical ending or necessarily a concrete ending, but it uh, it kind of made sense for the t- trajectory that the film was going. So I enjoyed it, but it it certainly wasn't uh, um, my f- absolute favorites of the festival. But low visible, low invisible was was definitely a film that was worth my time but I, I do want to kind of once again mention there's some unpleasant scenes some kind of painful scenes and there are scenes where the the main character does some cutting which could be uh, tough to watch for sure and the next day I, I I started off with a really interesting horror movie uh, called you are not my mother it's written and directed by Kate Dolan it's a bit of an Folklore combined with kind of Halloween and kind of rituals around Halloween. Um, essentially, it's it's about a, a bullied teenage girl whose mother disappears one day. Uh, the mother had had a bit of a, a bad past as far as uh, substance abuse and that kind of thing. And she lives with her grandmother, but then her mother reappears. One of the Maybe it's a touch. I've, I've been there and done that. Is to do a little bit of a, a flashback technique and kind of this. It was all a dream uh, that happens, or dreams within dreams sequences. Horror movies and a lot of movies in general will have that. So it's a it's a small point. I really liked kind of the the water motif throughout. There's water hoses, water glasses. The town set is by a river. There's a dripping faucet, um, very creepy performance by the mother in the film, very well directed, interesting sequence with the mother dancing to Tom Jones, which starts off kind of jovial and then gets manic and, and kind of frightening. There were a couple of times where I was questioning when, when one thing happens to a, a key character, why uh, the grandmother didn't clue in soon enough as to what had actually happened. 
given kind of the relationships in the film. But when we get kind of to the payoff of this movie, there's some real scare. And uh, there, were, there were a couple jumps in there. And it wasn't like because of some sound design or something. It was kind of a genuine scares, which impressed me a bit. Some more kind of imagery of hair and blood, which was uh, very effective. Kind of had some cheesy moments in the climax, I suppose. But it's also kind of works well. And I think just the ending is so amazing that this is probably the most solid horror movie I saw it over over a banquet from uh, from Tiff. So I was really happy I saw You Are Not My Mother, and I would recommend it to uh, horror fans everywhere. Uh, next movie I saw after that was this was the second one, which uh, kind of dealt in an interesting way with uh, having to film during COVID. Uh, it's a movie called Lakewood, directed by Philip Noyce, a very experienced director. And the lead is, uh, of course, the, the wonderful Naomi Watts, who uh, plays a mother who is is dealing with the fact that they're approaching the anniversary of the death of her husband. And her teenage son doesn't want to go to uh, school that morning. And she's kind of forcing him up to go to, to go to school and then she goes for a run and is doing a bunch of telephone conversations as as she goes along in her life and then all of a sudden there's a news story that breaks that there is a shooter initially they aren't sure if it's in the daughter's school or the high school they found out it's the high school and we just have naomi watch She's making frantic phone calls, trying to text her son, who she sent off to school. And there's some some decent buildup to what happens. I, I think there's some things towards the end that seem fairly convoluted as far as Naomi Watts' role in what happens towards the end of the film that I, I, I don't think would necessarily happen. It was still a high-energy entertaining film Naomi Watts uh it wasn't quite the one person or or limited one person show that the was with Jake Gyllenhaal in in one setting Watts has has to carry a big chunk of the film but certainly some scenes at the beginning and uh certainly scenes at the end involved a, a lot more characters but the movie doesn't work if you don't have an actor of the caliber of Naomi Watts and she is fantastic in the film uh, I think she's probably better than the material, but it was having her outside and filmed mostly running and walking and a little, kind of this little bit of uh, her own survival story as she goes along after she injures herself. That part works really well. So, uh, And if you like kind of action thrillers, I, I would say I would recommend Lakewood. Okay, but the film of the day uh, for me, and I would say the film of the festival, if I'm to be honest, was Barry Levinson's new film, The Survivor. I would say everything about this movie is strong. It's a true story of a man who became a boxer in Auschwitz, and his only means of surviving the camp was to get into the boxing ring and beat people and for the amusement of, of, of the Nazis. Ben Foster. People have been kind of on the Ben Foster bandwagon for a lot longer than I have. Sometimes I see him trying hard to act, and I, I always find it a little bit 
over the top or a little bit too intense or trying to be the next Sean Penn type of thing. This is his his fullest character from beginning to end. He totally becomes the character. Don't see a lot of Ben Foster from the previous work that he's done. This is, at this point, he's kind of my top the Oscar for Best Actor. But Levinson handles the material so well. It's uh, an epic film in many ways. And we and we see kind of the life that the character is leading, kind of the middle part of his life, and, and then the flashbacks of trauma from everything that happens in Auschwitz is handled really well. And then we start to see kind of a bit later in his life where his, his reason to survive is, uh, is, is, is quite compelling, but doesn't work out in the way that you would expect or, you know, it has the complexity of a real story opposed to a Hollywood story, even though this does feel like a, some sort of a wonderful epic Oscar-winning film from the 1990s. And I certainly hope that uh, the Academy and other organizations take really look at the survivor and I, I i love barry levinson as a director uh but this is his best film in quite a long time um i i would agree with one critic who said it's his best movie since wag the dog which came out in 1997 so it's it's been a while since he's had a film with this kind of power wonderful editing cinematography direction music score, everything is there not to kind of ruin it but i suppose i'm ruining it a little bit in a sense that there's a very recognizable prominent actor who shows up partway through the film has a few scenes and uh steals those scenes and would be kind of an interesting best supporting actor choice uh, i'll leave it to people to see the movie figure out which actor I'm talking about there, but I could not recommend The Survivor anymore. So not only is it my my pick for that day of the festival, it was my pick for the 2021 uh, Toronto International Film Festival. As to me, it was the it was the best picture. And I, I, I do hope because it wasn't kind of of the three shortlisted for the People's Choice Award, because maybe it's because it's such heavy material and we're living heavy lives right now. But I really do hope people check out an important film and capturing yet yet another amazing story that uh is is now preserved forever to come out of um the the tragedy of the holocaust so you know this island it's kind of special right yeah it's the island of the director you and mommy like a lot yep that's it a lot of people come here to work then Students, writers, designers. Wow. All this calm and perfection. I find it oppressive. Soothing. You know how hard writing is for me? It's, it's torture, it's self-inflicted agony, it's blood from a stone. Well, then, do something else. Yeah, like what? Full-time housewife? Well, it's an honorable profession. Do you think you can't create a great body of work and raise a family at the same time? At the age of 42, Berman had directed 25 films. How do you think he would have done that if he was also changing diapers? How's your thing going? Pretty good, actually. What's it about? It's about how invisible things circulate within a couple. 
Can I tell you about what I'm writing? Yeah. A young woman looks into the distance. She's about my age, or maybe a bit younger. They loved each other passionately and awkwardly like teenagers do. I never mentioned it to my girlfriend. But she's jealous of you. Why her and not me? You spaced out. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. The attraction was still overwhelming. But there was no place in their lives for this love story anymore. Next day, uh, the first film I started off with, uh, very, was very excited to see uh, this uh, movie called Bergman's Island, uh, written and directed by Mia Hansen Love, and it's essentially about a couple, and they're both uh, filmmakers, and they go to uh, Faroe, which is the island that uh, Igmar Bergman filmed on and 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 lived of his life, and they kind of explore the island, and there's a lot of allusions to his films throughout. They end up staying at the house that was where they shot scenes from a marriage, one of his most prominent films. And we, we kind of see a difference in the styles. Vicky Cripps is very good at playing Chris, who's uh, married to Tim Roth. Tim Roth is kind of a, a prominent filmmaker who does a screening and the question and answer. And he somewhat enjoys that kind of fame and attention he gets, but he admires the heck out of Igmar Bergman. But Chris is is struggling with her screenplay, points where there, you know, there's a little bit of suggested marital tension and that be paying more attention to her and, and helping her out. But the island is very much a, a muse for this film. It does kind of go into then, as she's working through the screenplay, we start to see the movie that she has written and is 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 creating. And that's where we get the best performance in the movie. And the main character in this movie, within a movie, is Mia Waskowska, who was uh, Alice in uh, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland and uh, has been in, 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 in several several films. And she plays kind of a, a younger character, fictional character, who comes back and finds uh, an old flame at this wedding. And despite the fact that, you know, they're, they're, they both have other partners, look at the possibility of could, 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 they, could they have a long-term future together? And that movie was really, you know, the movie within the movie was, was really interesting. It's quite brave and quite well acted to the point where... The book ends with the the Tim Roth, the Kreps story didn't quite feel as compelling. And then we kind of get into a little bit of a, I'm not sure plot twist is the right word, but some things which are even a little bit more meta towards the end of the film that again felt like they were kind of a, an homage to Bergman, but I'm not sure if they necessarily were as brilliant as the filmmakers wanted them to be. So it was it was a positive review and I, I certainly am glad I saw it, but it, it wasn't as amazing as I was hoping uh, the film to be but terrific setting and a lot of actors that i really enjoy making appearances and i always love seeing a movie with tim roth he'll appear again in a review in a few minutes you're fat your hair is gross you smell 
You majored in the wrong thing in college. You don't have enough Why friends. Don't you, know how to cook? you don't remember enough people's birthdays. Everyone can see your weird you should be floating. along in your career. For me, the movie was Violet. This is the uh, directorial debut of Justine Bateman, who played Mallory on Family Ties and is the sister of Jason Bateman. And I, I just, I've never seen a movie quite like this, is, is something else. From the beginning, very intense visuals. And we have Olivia Moon, is playing essentially a, kind of a, a script supervisor executive in Hollywood, but she's female and she's dealing with sexism of Hollywood. Um, and a really, really nasty boss, as it turns out. And she has a lot of insecurities. And she lets the negative voice uh, inside of her make fear-based choices, uh, is the, the term that uh, Bateman used in her introduction to the film and in the Q&A afterwards. And we actually see the screen, what she's thinking about, and then we hear this voice, uh, Justin Thoreau uh, voices the, the negative voice inside her head, which is leading her towards not progressing in her life. And we see when she gets to a point where she's had enough, that she does the opposite of what the voice is telling her. And then she tries to ignore that voice and battle it. And it's not that it goes away, but she continues fighting it through all kinds of really kind of interesting, extreme situations. So it's a tough movie to describe in some ways. You have to see it. I would encourage people to see Violet in a movie theater. Uh, when it gets a general release, I, I plan to see it again. It was, to me, probably the most unique and, and interesting direction. If I was to give a prize for uh, TIFF 2021 based on the movies that I saw, I would definitely give it to Justine Bateman uh, for Violet. And she also wrote uh, the film. This is also, uh, I don't remember seeing a movie where there was a curtain call for the crew. And so she does a curtain call for the crew at the end of the movie, which is this nice touch of respect, which was I was excited to see. I, I've never seen that before in a movie. So big, big uh, kudos to Justine Bateman's movie, Violet. And Olivia Moon is terrific on my short list for a Best Actress nomination as well. So uh, we, we see her battling these forces, but it's all through facial expression. And so what she is saying is not necessarily what she is thinking. And we see that subtext, but then we actually literally see subtext on the screen and, and the noise. Also, just a, I don't want to ruin it, but when things become overwhelming, just a beautiful visual decision made there by Bateman. So uh, I'm gushing, but Violet is one of my favorite films of, of the festival. The next day after that, I started off with a somewhat epic French film called France. Uh, and uh, the lead character is actually named France. She's played by uh, Leah Sado, who's been in a lot of stuff. She's in a film a few years ago, which was uh, my favorite film of the year. Uh, Blue is the Warmest Color. It was a fairly controversial movie when it came out. She plays a news personality, media personality, who goes into what appears to be very dangerous kind of war zones. But as you watch her put the story together, you realize so much of it is fabricated. And to put her at the center of it, and 
increase her popularity. But as as things start to go along, she starts to, you know, she has uh, an incident where she's not paying attention and she hits and injures uh, a young man on a motorbike. And then she's trying to sort of make amends for that with the, the family and, and, and with this young man. She's a little bit of an existential crisis and that leads to, you know, desires to want to quit. And she goes into kind of a rehab type of uh, relaxation situation, which blows up in her face. And then she kind of gets back at her job. So it's kind of a sharp satire on the media, I guess. I, I, I did find at points the movie dragged a bit. Uh, and I was tonally, it was a little bit all over the place. Uh, it was so interesting because kind of a good lead performance and it's very professionally shot, very well shot film. But I don't know. This was one of the ones where I was kind of checking, checking my watch a little bit more, which I, I don't like to do with a movie. So I, I think they maybe could have tightened up some sections in the kind of the second act and still been as effective as it was with its uh, satire. It's an interesting film, but again, looking at French films from that I saw from the festival, I, I liked Arthur Rambo, which was also satirical, but also kind of raised a lot of current uh, social questions about race and social media. So I like that the French filmmakers are trying to address uh, contemporary issues, but I, I think Arthur Rambo was a bit tighter and a bit more successful than, than France is. And then I saw this, this wonderful movie called Loners, uh, written and directed by uh, Hong Song, it's a Korean picture about disconnected herself from the world. She she goes to a job where she's fixing you know problems with for a credit card company, and she's very good at her job. She's the most effective uh, employee. And then she goes home, goes to neighbors, and then she watches TV and is on her phone and eats alone, and she you know feels ultimately comfortable with that. But then she's pushed in this direction where she has to kind of face the fact that uh, she lost her mother and that was very painful for her and she's not really connecting with her father and there's a bit of a little bit of feeling like her her father who had came back later on had really betrayed the mother and betrayed her so she keeps him at a distance and even though he's going going through his own grieving process but she gets challenged when she has to train a new and is forced to talk to this rather overly enthusiastic young girl who has moved into the city and is feeling alone in her own way too. You see lots of different sort of examples of loneliness throughout. And it, it, it leads to a very satisfying kind of final act, how she's changed, but she still is basically the same character that she was at the beginning. And it's, it, it's, it's kind of a reasonable transition. It's not the flashiest of films from the festival, but it, it certainly was a movie that, that stayed with me for, for the day afterwards. And and so uh, kind of based on those two films that I saw that day, I would have I'd recommend Aloners over the over France, even though it's a little bit more of a, a bigger scale, more epic film. But Aloners was this nice makes its point and sticks to its point and is well acted. And again, Korean cinema for years now produced great stuff. And this is another wonderful example of of how great South Korea is at producing these amazing films which get to North American audiences through festivals like TIFF. So if you get a chance to see Aloners, I would uh, highly recommend it. Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be an amazing day and here's why. 
been doing those letters to yourself with Dr. Sherman? I've been trying to. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Um, no one signed your cast. Now we can both pretend we have friends. I'm sorry about my brother. Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? I wish everything was different. I wish I was part of something. I wish that anything I said mattered. Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, yeah, that's mine. I'll, I'll, I'll just take it. Wait, I really, I need that back. Like you could fall and no one would hear. Connor took a letter from me and it was an assignment from my therapist. Still. Even when the dark comes crashing through. Connor's mother and stepfather are here to see you. When you need a friend to carry you. Connor wanted you to have this. And when you're broken on the ground. Dear Evan Hansen, he wrote it to you. His last words. Connor took his own life. He won. I'm sorry Connor didn't write this. No, 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 please. It's this You will be found. And we didn't think Connor had any friends. I mean, you really gonna tell these people that the only thing they have left of their son is a letter that you wrote to yourself? So, you and Connor, tell us something, please. Right, um, I started talking and you couldn't stop. They didn't want me to stop. I'm putting together a memorial service. If you wanted to do something, Connor showed me that, that I wasn't alone. Nobody is. So, let that lonely feeling wash away. Maybe there's a reason to believe you'll be okay. I didn't know that you were hurting. Cause when you don't feel strong enough to stand. A lot of people feel like us. You can reach, reach out your hand. People started sharing it. It's everywhere. I don't understand what happened. You're dead. I don't know how much you've given my family and me. Were you ever actually friends with him? I never meant to make it such a mess. I was trying to help. If you knew who I am, just how broken I am. I already know you. Day, I, I did see one of the big releases for this year, the film Dear Evan Hansen. I, I unfortunately have, have looked at reviews afterwards and they have not been very positive. And I guess what I'll say about it is maybe I'm coming to the point where I have the advantage of not seeing Dear Evan Hansen on the stage because it was one of the biggest Broadway musicals, not Hamilton, but almost up there with uh, Hamilton as far as modern uh, Broadway musicals and made the career of, of Ben Platt. And so probably accurately, there are some criticisms that Ben Platt, they do not do a great cover in the fact that he's in his late 20s playing the 17-year-old kid. When he was, say, 21 on stage, then uh, that worked a bit better. Uh, but in the film, the makeup and everything that they tried, that didn't really cover it up. That doesn't lessen how 
good his performance is and he's not alone like the the cast is quite good in the movie and i think sort of all of the plot points work uh it's emotional it got me in a few places i'm sure i if i saw it on stage that might have been an even more powerful and emotional experience but i i would i wouldn't steer people away from giving dear evan hansen a chance but again i'm curious as to those who are hardcore fans of Dear Evan Hansen, how they feel about this. It might be fairly similar to sometimes on this show, I've reviewed a version of a book that I love. And sometimes my review gets a little bit sidelined by the fact that I love the book so much that the movie wasn't as a, as effective. It wasn't the same type of experience, which could be because it's a completely different medium. Julianne Moore and especially Amy Adams are very good. And actually my favorite performance is Caitlin Dever, who plays uh, this girl that that Evan Hansen has a huge crush on, but has never had the courage to approach until the set of circumstances that happen with people, you know, her, her and people thinking that Evan Hansen was friends with this boy, and this was this boy's only friend, which is kind of the the lead off premise to 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 the uh, the whole film, but. I think there's a lot of value to the Dear Dear Evan Hansen story, no matter how you experience it, and raises some issues about mental health and, you know, communications with teenagers and and, and what they're going through. Sometimes some musicals where they break out in a song or whatever in a high school, it feels a little bit hokey. Uh, I think it's maybe the credit of of how good the songs are and and the music that I, I wasn't annoyed by that. Uh, whereas I, I might have been in some some other films too, so I think it's an effect. But it does sound like it's it's not going to necessarily be the success story that I'm sure uh, Universal was hoping it to be. Next movie I saw um, was The Good House, and this is a chance for the first time in a long time for Sigourney Weaver to once again remind people what a great actor. She's, of course, this this icon and this feminist icon because of Alien and Aliens and uh, just the work that she's done in so many films here. But she is a heck of a good actor. This movie showcases it. She plays a real estate agent in this small New England town that is uh, a alcohol. She breaks the fourth wall and does kind of the turning to the camera and talking to us. They established that early and throughout the film. And again, in lesser hands, that might not have worked, but I liked in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I liked when Cusack, John Cusack does that in High Fidelity, and it works just as well in this movie. And Weaver has these scenes where she's trying to keep this mask of uh, that she's successful and that she's pretends that she's but she is sneaking bottles of wine and trying to hide it from her her kids and we start to see her gradually start to fall apart and and reach rock bottom but it it's not done in a way that i've seen alcohol portrayed in in movies before weaver's awesome i hope she gets at least an oscar nomination for best actress for this i i don't know i have to think about it a little bit but i think at this point she's probably my for, uh, for best actress of the uh, performances I've seen this year. She's terrific. And Kevin Klein, and they're just gold when they work together. I believe this is maybe the, the fourth movie. Great chemistry on screen. 
And Klein is essentially a, a handyman who, uh, you know, renovates houses or repairs houses. And, you know, there's a potential for a romance, but uh, but uh, it, it never it never quite worked out until this kind of critical point in her life and his life when she's now like divorced and single. And, and again, that, that romance is very charming, but again, it's not handled in kind of a completely cutesy way. I, I like how it's done. Again, it's probably because Kevin Klein, Weaver are such great actors. They can elevate the material from the book and, uh, and the screenplay into something that feels fresh and, 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 and feels new, even if it's a movie in a setting that we maybe have seen before. I, I read some reviews that criticized that a lot of the kind of the other characters are a bit two-dimensional. The rival real estate agent is, is kind of somewhat, you know, friendly but passive-aggressive type and we don't see another side to her and to a, a few other colorful colorful characters but i've seen lots of movies that get praise that have that same problem too and i, I don't see why the good house should be penalized for that i think it's a really strong portrayal of alcoholism it's but the movie has some humor to it sometimes quite dark humor but it also has a, a fair amount of, of tragedy and it's a, just a, a wonderful film and so it, it was kind of close between the three I saw that day. I, I think ultimately it would be my pick of the day. As much as I like our next movie called Snakehead, written and directed by Evan Jack Long. And this is, it's an independent movie with big ambitions. And it's, uh, Snakehead is essentially the person who, who uh, smuggles people from China into the United States. And a lot of movies set in Chinatown, because when... Uh, uh, the main character who, you know, escapes herself, then she is in debt to essentially this uh, mafia boss played uh, by the matriarch in this family. The the lead actress performance is good. The, the matriarch is is fine. Some of her it's a scary character, but I don't think I got that as much from the actor herself. But it is it is a terrific kind of crime film in descendant and it's, so it's not quite but it's aiming for kind of goodfellas scorsese type of type of a crime ep epic kind of revealing about trafficking or the ser servitude when you know escaping the country and getting to the united states and i like new york stories and and exploring chinatown in this way was, was interesting and i really like the lead performance very strong from beginning to end played by shua chang and his character is essentially trying to find her daughter who was taken away to uh, an American family uh, in Chinatown and in New York. I think it, uh, one of the criticisms is that it seems fairly easy for her to find her daughter and, and kind of know where her daughter is in a rather large city like New York. But again, I, I think because the lead performers kind of similar to what I was talking about, the good house, the lead performance is so strong. I'm, I'm willing to ignore some of these kind of plot points and the fact that there's some sequences that do look like they were very uh, independently shot, but Again, some great ambition and in some sequences as far as the setting for the story occur several countries, but lead back to this kind of central location in Chinatown. And the violence is brutal when uh, we start to get into the third act of the film. You probably have seen some version of this before, but it's great to have it 
from the perspective of uh, an Asian American filmmaker, and I really enjoyed Snakehead. So uh, I liked all three of the movies. It's just the power of Weaver's performance that The Good House was my recommendation there, but I wouldn't steer people away from Gareth and Hansen or Snakehead. Uh, which one has tequila? This two already. Thank you. It's okay. Hello. Are you margaritas? Can I take these empty bottles? Sure. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We'll be there as soon as uh, we'll be there as soon as we can. Come. And then the next day, I off by watching a movie called Sundown by uh, Michelle Franco. And Michelle Franco had a, a movie at the Toronto International Film Festival last year that I really enjoyed called New Order. I put it on my top 10 list. And Sundown is similar to New Order. It is set in Mexico. Uh, and it's it's a real interesting kind of a mysterious film. And this is the but a much more interesting performance from Tim Roth and not what you would expect from him. This is a character who operates in a lot of uh, silence and body language and subtext a little bit more when, you know, over his career, he's been in a lot of talk heavy films and he does a good job with that. This was really unique. A uh, sister and her kids on uh, a resort vacation in Mexico, but they get bad news that uh, there's been a death in the family and they had report and it seems like tim roth's forgotten his passport at the resort and is not able to fly with the rest of the family but then we watch him not go back to the resort on his own but go into the middle part or the central part 
of uh, Mexico City, where he, he meets uh, this this woman who initially we don't know if she's a prostitute or not, and uh, it turns out not. And develops this romance and is seen interacting with a, some some people in an area where there's some random violence. Uh, uh, there's quite a powerful scene where uh, Skidoo pulls up on the beach and murders somebody in front of everybody. And Roth's character doesn't seem phased by it at all. He, he's in a, a motel and some of his stuff gets stolen and he just kind of moves on. I think the twist with this is is pretty good when we see it probably should have seen it coming a little bit but i i didn't and like that I, I just kind of the whole thing works it's very very well acted but to me roth is the star of the film but franco makes interesting films and and i i guess just contrasting new order with this one new order was was extremely violent and there are some violent scenes in sundown but not as violent new order felt like a really loud intense film this is intense but it's a much quieter interest and I, I really do hope that tim roth and I, I i am praising a lot of performances here from the festival but i do hope tim roth is another person who's going to be considered for a best actor nomination now and i hope it gets a better release than new order did new order kind of is a tiff film that i loved a lot that kind of disappeared so i certainly hope sundown gets uh, some attention and uh, it's, it's a movie that i think is well worth people's time next movie i saw after that was fairly dark comedy that goes on horror called silent night and the filmmakers claim that they wrote it before the pandemic but yet there are some interesting themes about the world that we're in right now but it seems like a, a happy home where it's christmas and they're playing michael buble music and um, who is often playing very likable characters is the mother in this family but we see early on that family a lot of swearing and so this is not going to be kind of like a hallmark type of uh, a movie at all there's a scene where the uh, son cuts himself and blood uh, falls on these carrots when preparing the uh, the christmas dinner and that's just kind of left there too and kind of this this grisly little moment the the kid who was in jojo rabbit plays the son and another kind of interesting performance and we also have some other interesting actors i really like the rose depp is this American who is uh, a bit younger than her her boyfriend who comes comes for the dinner and none of them really seem to like her that much and she has kind of slightly different ideas about what's going on in the world and then we realize that there's a lot more going on than than Christmas and I don't necessarily want to ruin it too much for people but I, I think you know, uh, the winner in here is the screenplay it's a very strong screenplay and it probably depending on how the it's really would be one to consider for a writing nomination for the Oscars this year. A lot of really interesting characters talking to each other, but dealing with a decision which is really a horrible decision to have to think about as it gets into slightly more horrific and, and serious moments uh, towards the end. So it starts off as quite a, a black comedy, quite enjoyable. I liked it. I've had a few days since to think about it, and I, I'm not sure I'm as in love with it as I am in, say, some other films I've been talking about and even about I felt was uh, both movies are complex but Sundown was to me somewhat more engaging ultimately despite the fact that a really really terrific cast for Silent Night and quite quite well written dialogue uh, throughout and well written story are you an illustrator um, yes 
You're very muddy. I was attacked by a one-and-a-half-ton bull. Oh! I am prepared to offer you a staff position. You capture something of the cat. Perhaps because you yourself are an outcast. I do it to provide for the five hungry and precocious sisters that I live at home with. And we've had a governess. I think you're the first person to see the cats are ridiculous. <laughs> Frightened. And brave. Like us. Miss Richardson has had an incredibly positive effect on this family. Were you painting something? Is something funny, Miss Wayne? Not at all. Catman. Catman. A whole cat world. They will turn blue and communicate with us in our own language. Did you say that they would turn blue? Yes, of course. Wow. What's going on in that funny little head of yours? Electricity. Okay, Louis, I'm worried about you. Mr. Wayne, I have been called here because your sister is concerned for your health. You have squandered it on wretched cats and on a willful, doomed, tainted romance. How you've managed to conjure images of such delight at such a dark time, I don't know. Remember, however hard things get, however much you feel like you're struggling, the world is full of beauty, and it's up to you to capture it, Louis, and to share it with as many people as you can. Then another movie starring Benedict Cumberbatch, The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, directed by Will Sharp. And it's about the life of the artist who did these funny cat pictures, which kind of elevated cats to household pets before they were kind of equivalent to rats in society in kind of the 19th century. And we see the course of his life, a really kind of amazing love story between him and uh, the wonderful actor Clara Foy in the first act of the film. And uh, then we, we see every section of his life. This is one of, of many movies where the makeup design was terrific. And the demands on Cumberbatch as the movie was on become bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I don't know where the Academy is going to go. He'll definitely be up for best actor for either The Power of the Dog or The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. But it was like I saw two completely different human beings from Benedict Cumberbatch. That's how good an actor he is. And both immensely powerful performances. So either way, I'll be happy to see him on that best actor list. I do think this this is probably structured a little bit more traditionally and more in a, for your consideration 
but it's really unique. The visuals are interesting. Music score, uh, costume design, uh, art decoration. It reminded me of like a really kind of strong A-level Tim Burton type of film, but it has some some very serious stuff towards the end and deals with, uh, again, like a lot of films in the festival, the issue of, of mental health quite effectively. And then based was, uh, this was uh, one of uh, the few movies that I would say I, I would shed if I owned it from my from my movie shelf. It's a movie called uh, Zalavia. It's an Iranian movie. I think it's meant to be a horror movie about demon possession in this in this this village and um, the local police officer who doesn't believe any any of this stuff and arrests this exorcist con man and then through a whole set of circumstances the exorcist gets gets out and goes goes back to the town and the police officer has to deal with some strange occurrences that start to happen after it seems like he he may have released this demon again onto this community but it deals with kind of the village and this belief system which has been around for hundreds of years and how committed they are to that system and how they are willing to you know, not believe in logic necessarily anybody uh, and assume that they are, you know, working on the side of evil. So I suppose there are some relatable things to some unfortunate occurrences that are happening in the world now. So you could probably get some positive that the movie does look good. Uh, it does have some interesting, if convoluted, suspense in sections of, of the first act, but not very satisfying. I mean, it's for a horror movie, it, it, it's short on and it kind of again this is a movie i saw later at night so maybe that's why but it kind of wore me out i i was kind of sick of the characters and i wanted the movie to end sooner than it actually ended so a little bit but uh this one of the few in the festival i i didn't care for as much so i ultimately i i think my very strong day for for the movies that day that i but i sundown i think just a little bit over the electrical life of louis wayne just because Sundown was something that I didn't necessarily know where it was going or or expect. Whereas I, I could predict some beats of the screenplay for Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. It's between those two, and they were both very well-made movies that I hope people will check out. And I did actually, uh, again, see one more movie at the end of that day. I didn't CBC uh, called Wildhood, about uh, two brothers who escaped from uh, abusive family was uh, some some gang stuff kind of related to it and escaped to try to to find uh, their mother when they uh, discover that uh, the one boy's mother's he didn't think that his his mother was was around and they go on a bit of a road trip and are joined by this this other man who uh, who has a who has a truck so that they can they can go and I, I guess the the effectiveness of the film is it looks at indigenous culture but it also looks at the the idea of a, a two-spirited individual because our, our kind of the older brother and uh, this young man who picks them up and they have an attraction to each other. And and so uh, we see uh, that this kind of a love story play out while uh, they go on this journey to find this mother. One of the, the issues, I guess, is uh, this younger brother is kind of in a scene where he talks about he's being left behind all the time. Oh, no, 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 I love you. I always have your back. Uh, and then proceeds to be left behind the from the action regularly throughout. So it's almost like this side character who's important, but yet kind of for the convenience of the plot gets forgotten about at, at different times. 
So I think that could have been tightened up a, a little bit in the writing. Occasionally, some of the dialogue was a little bit weak. Uh, I, I found the ending of the movie fairly cheesy. So Wildhood was kind of kind of in between. I keep seeing these ads for that zombie show on TV. It's awful. I can't believe people want to watch that kind of stuff at night. There's enough going on in the real world to give me the creeps. Great. Thank you. To the Blake family Thanksgiving. To the very special Chinatown edition of the Blake family Thanksgiving. Dad, you won't get any reception up here. You have to lean up against the window. Yeah, but now lean in. Smush your body up. A there you go. So, are you balancing a job with all your studies? The main reason I'm not done with school yet is because I was depressed for a bit. I'm fine now. In our family, we don't have that kind of depression. Dad. Oh. Whoa, come back to Earth. Sorry. No, we just have a lot of stoic sadness. Cost a hundred bucks a night to hire someone to make sure she doesn't fall hey, in her. No, she needs to think before she opens her mouth. Don't you think it should cost less to be alive? <laughs> Absolutely. There's this comic book I was obsessed with as a kid. It's about this species of half alien, half demon creatures and the scary stories that they tell each other. Oh my! Are all about us. Humans. I didn't even I know you think there's something wrong with me. It's I not a new really She still acts like a martyr, but I'm trying to apologize. You'll find someone new. You're gonna come out of this stronger. I promise. Stop lying to me. Just stop. Don't actually stop. Anything I say makes her. Yeah. Who she remind you of? You. Me. You. It's you, my friend. I love that in times like this, I have a home base, a family I can always come home to. To knowing this is what matters, right here. Because everything anyone's got, no matter who you are, everything you have goes. Well, that's a positive way of looking at things. <laughs> wow. Do that at a funeral, Dad. The last day of the festival, I tried to cram in and I started off with a very, very effective movie called The Humans, written and directed by Stephen Cram, based on an off-Broadway play, and it's set during uh, Thanksgiving. Impression I get as far as the year was, it was probably the year after 9-11 uh, is when it's set, kind of. 2002 potentially could be a few years after that but when you take a look at the technology talking to each other it's it's before several other things will have happened in our world there and so certainly not in a, a pandemic world top-notch cast with some really interesting kind of creepy horror-esque touches to this kind of fa family drama richard jenkins june squibb amy Schuler, uh stephen young who's been hot lately from walking dead to minari last year to to this film and uh, it has a bit of humor to it but you know as things start to kind of unravel uh, a lot of kind of Stuff makes sense. We see Richard Jenkins looking out, kind of tuned out from the family a lot and looking outside the window uh, in New York and nervous about leaving his his daughter 
and her boyfriend in this place that where you can see uh, the plumbing, like water, and sometimes even urine kind of falling down the walls. And uh, it seems like things are, lights are, the bulbs are, are the, this apartment gets darker and darker as, as the film goes on, which has a kind of great symbolism. Everybody gets a chance to showcase Amy Schumer, stand-up comedian, comedic actor, really shows her acting chops here and is uh, a serious performance. And I think she's going to surprise people when this movie gets about how good she is. Richard Jenkins is always wonderful. And when we get into the climax of the film, he elevates that even more. This is probably his best performance in uh, in several years. And Judy Webb, who I like a lot, moving Nebraska. She was up for an Oscar a few years ago. She plays uh, the grandmother who has had, uh, she, she had some dementia. I think she's at this point where she's had uh, perhaps a stroke, and so she's she's stuck in a wheelchair uh, through most of the film and tries to talk sometimes but can't be understood. The only time she's understood is when the Thanksgiving prayer, and from memory she starts to participate when everybody is saying this at once and just tapping into that part of the brain that she'll be connected to. So this beautiful moment. The performance, though, that I, I'd most like to, to kind of alert people to is the only person who uh, remain from uh, the original cast. And it's the mother character, and she's played by Jane Hodishell. Uh, you'll have seen her in, 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 she's a character actor. She's shown up in, in, in lots of stuff. But just to see how she tries to be positive and keep the family together, but she has tension with her daughter, whose apartment this is, and maybe they're a little bit too much alike, perhaps. And these little cruelties that the family will say something quite disparaging about her. She either or or the comment is made and you just see the hurt in her face when she feels like she's trying to do everything to you know love her family and that sometimes she's treated as far as her inability with email and some technology stuff yeah so the scenes are really really good kind of my heart broke for for her all the characters um, in this family I should also mention Beanie uh, Felstein who uh, has been uh, was in the movie I believe Booksmart and is uh, Jonah Hill's sister is the daughter who's moving in to this place with Stephen Yoon and uh, has some really good things to me as strong as, as uh, some of the other four the other four performances I, I mentioned but Odishel Jenkins and Schumer should probably be looked at very carefully for potential Oscar consideration terrific screenplay very well directed it's tough to take a play and put it on film but it, it's made quite cinematic and the sound design and the cinematography is, is excellent it is a terrific movie I really enjoyed watching the humans I look forward to seeing it again then we switched gears and saw a documentary Oscar Peterson black and white for the Crave Network in Canada and just terrific music throughout a very thorough look at his life perhaps a little bit again uh, similar similar comment to the Cousteau Jacques Cousteau documentary kind of paint by numbers many lots of interesting interviews uh, they gather some uh, world-class musicians together to play some of his music for some sequences and they spend a lot of time with that at the beginning yet I don't think it really pays off and I think the documentary I mean that's the thing that try, try, tries to make it unique but it's not really followed through I think 
think as much or nor as compelling as as the many interviews that they do the archival footage of Peterson talking about his life and then talking to a, a whole variety of people uh, Quincy Jones Herbie Hancock Billy Joel John Baptist about the impact of Oscar Peterson's music. I, I guess for me, I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed the, the story of his life. I immediately wanted to listen to some more Oscar Peterson records. The movie did its job, but I wouldn't say it was an innovative documentary still. In comparison to the first movie I saw on the festival, Attica, it's good and it's enjoyable, but it's maybe not the greatest movie uh, from, from the festival this year. Tammy Faye. What'd you do? Hello, Mother. This is Jim Baker, my husband. <laughs> it's all part of our mission to help people. Anyone who's hurting or they feel like they've been left out. God has a plan for us. What'd he tell you to do this time? Jesus keeps a ticking me higher and higher. Jim will preach and I'll sing. To be poor. a pleasure. Now God has a voice in this fight. Who's he fighting? Liberal agenda, homosexual agenda. Faith isn't political. You can't talk to him like that. Jerry Falwell is a powerful man, Tammy Faye. She's a firecracker, Jim. If everyone watching could double their pledge just for one month, God loves you. He really does. doing anything wrong though is that a question Tammy and I are undergoing the most vicious attacks serving God don't feel like it should be a money-making opportunity you know when I saw that clipping with my face on it I thought for a second that you were proud of me oh Tammy Faye you follow blindly in the end all you are is blind these eyes I just want to love people the devil's coming for me, Tammy. Can we talk about Satan later, Jim? Steve is a patient of AIDS. I can't look at this. You need to get her under control. I built you an empire. You built you an empire. Some people, they're just hurting so bad, and we just need to love them. I want to put my arm around you. And I want to put my arms around you, Tammy Faye. <laughs> For it, looking in the rear view mirror of my life. This is who I am. Then I saw a highly anticipated film this year, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, directed by Michael Schuwalter. This is the second Jessica Chastain movie. I saw in the festival, I had a for Best Actress for playing Tammy Faye, at the time Tammy Faye Baker. And Chastain's goal as the producer of the film was to tell Tammy Faye Baker's side of the story. Uh, and I, I learned a lot about her from watching the film. So it does a good job in that way. And Chastain, in a similar way to I said, you know, uh, with Ben Foster and The Survivor, that there are sections where I don't recognize the actor at all. Makeup job is terrific in this film. And Chastain, definitely in the younger sequences, looks like, no mistaking, just Chastain playing Tammy Faye. But in the older sequences, she becomes unrecognizable and uh, a total commitment to that character. Her performance is so strong. It kind of powers 
perhaps the rest of the movie, which is kind of, a, again, paint-by-numbers biopic in some ways, starting with kind of an older shot and then going back and telling the story of this couple. Andrew Garfield does a good job of playing Jim Baker. And, I, you know, initially you're looking at him and recognizing Andrew Garfield, but you kind of get over that after a while. It's just, it's, it's a very good performance. It's just not necessarily as strong as, uh, as Chastain's performance, where in a similar way, a lot of the, the characters I kind of fell in love with in this festival, um, and this is a real person, there, there, there's scenes where people are just so horrible to Tammy Faye, and she just stays optimistic and positive, and she doesn't judge anybody, and she just wants to win people for Christ, for sure, but she wants to do it in a respectful way. And again, she was the only evangelical I can think of in the 1980s that was very uh, welcoming and accepting of gay and lesbian people and started to work, you know, as far as battling the AIDS epidemic. I'm really, really impressed with like, you know, how the complexities of the character, the quirks, the makeup for sure. She just loves sipping coke all the time. But how we kind of see her life go up and down and how she, you know, is resilient and keeps keeps fighting and keeps moving forward. Too. And so it's a worthwhile film. I guess I had high expectations for it. So it wasn't uh, among my favorites of the festival, but it is for Chastain's performance alone and to know a little bit more about Tammy Faye Baker, Tammy Faye, not Baker anymore, but Tammy Faye. I, I think people need to check out The Eyes of Tammy Faye. I, I'm sure it's going to be up for several Oscar nominations this year. Then I saw a movie called Seven Prisoners, and this is the second movie about kind of human. Uh, and it's a Brazilian film about a, a young man and several young men who take a job in Sao Paulo, which they think is a legitimate job. And then they essentially get imprisoned by, uh, by this man who's part of, as it turns out, more of a, a criminal enterprise to try to mine copper from essentially stolen vehicles. And they claim that they have this debt that they have to pay off. And when they pay it off, then they'll be free. And then they'll have enough money to, money's being sent to their, their families, coming from very dire economic situations. And then we focus on one character who, who fights this idea and, and tries to escape and try to find ways out of it. But then the movie takes a really interesting turn after that, when all of a sudden the guy who, who runs this, this shop starts to give this young man a little bit more power and a bit more responsibility. And he starts to sort of see that this is how a lot of San Paulo society and government works is based on this system of taking these men out of the country, providing for their families financially, but getting slave labor out of them. And it's, it's a really fascinating movie. It's kind of a similar to uh, the Arthur Rambo uh, piece where you're left in kind of this, this moral gray area as, as you watch the film progress. And it's a very effective film. I, I, I enjoyed it immensely, as I did with, with many films at the festival. I, on that last day, I, uh, the last film I saw was uh, Doug Doug again. But uh, the last movie I saw kind of for the first time was Melanie Laurent's The Mad Woman's Ball. Melanie Laurent is an actor I've, I've been championed for several years. 
I thought she should have been up for an Oscar nomination for Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. She appears in the movie Beginners with uh, Ewan McGregor and the late uh, Christopher Plummer. And here's a chance for her to, as a director, and she also acts in the movie, taking a look at a little bit the history of French society and how you know if if a woman kind of stepped out of the box that she was put into or she would say some things that were unusual then she would be put away into a really kind of horrible mental institution this movie is is, is beautiful to look at even though it's, the content is horrible at points but wonderful sets costumes cinematography this is an epic film from an actor who is in many ways kind of announcing herself as a major filmmaker with this movie and as good as laurent is the lead performance is extraordinary is this uh you know she she's interested in poetry and 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 being able to do it anything she does and having freedom but she can uh sense spirits and when this happens the scary to be institutionalized but as the film goes along we you know we discover that this is not a issue of mental health that she does actually communicate with the dead and Melanie Laurent is uh, one of her caregivers who has initially a lot of responsibility but then starts to kind of lose some of her power as she advocates for better treatment as she starts to observe and realize how wrong the treatment of these patients is culminating in uh, this mad woman's ball where the patients get all dressed up and it's a big deal to them. And then the society of France show up and just are kind of sit back and are amused by <clears throat> these women and will dance with them and that, that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's beautifully built up as far as the drama and what's going to happen moving moving forward. So it's got a, a bit of a supernatural quality to it. it, makes a point about the bad history of the treatment of people with mental illness. And it also takes a look at the poor treatment in, uh, of women and when women were had no say in uh, how they lived their lives in the history of France. And I think this would be able to uh, all parts of the world and certainly at this time. Heck of a job directing, terrific acting. Uh, the whole production looks amazing. And it was a, a great kind of last film on this last day of the festival. So uh, kind of a tough choice is my pick of the day for the very last day of the festival. And I, I do think that in, in some ways I, I kept going back to the humans as a film that affected me and I don't know, it kind of related to some things about the modern 21st century family dynamic that kind of got to me in an emotional way, I, I guess, which would be kind of the, the leg up over all of those other fine films that I saw on that last day of the festival. So reviewing uh, things just to, to wrap up the the, uh, the show here and thank you for listening to the solo show where I've gone through a bunch of movies I really enjoy and then a couple that I, one I didn't like I was a little bit mixed on, but I, I would say my, my favorite film of the festival was The Survivor, directed by Barry Levinson. I was uh, in kind of a, a tough position there in many ways to choose a best lead actor, but I, I, I think I... I do have to go with Ben Foster also for The Survivor. The lead act, actress category, and it's a tough call. Just just a little bit for me, probably controversially over Jessica Chastain, I would go with Sigourney Weaver for The Good House. 
And uh, the director prize, I would uh, definitely be giving to Justine Bateman for Violet in a very unique vision. And again, I, I, I really enjoyed the documentaries, the international cinema, and it was just a treat for me um, this, the last two years to be able to see some of the movies at the Toronto International Film Festival. Being a, an educator, school starts in September, so it's it's never been possible for me to travel to Toronto to see screenings of movies. So this gave me a, a, a wonderful chance to do that, and I hope uh, TIFF continues uh, the digital screenings uh, in future Looking forward to enjoying more movies in the years to come. And uh, probably not surprisingly, last year, several movies from TIFF ended up on my top 10 list. And I, I, I great representation from the festival of the movies I saw um, to be on my top 10 list this year. And there were several I didn't get to see that I'm very much looking forward uh, to seeing as uh, the movie year progresses. And certainly uh, Kenneth Branagh's uh, Belfast uh, sounds like it's going to be an uh, amazing film uh, to check out when it hits theaters uh, at some point later this year uh, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. So, uh, just before I wrap up the show, I I just want to uh, do uh, some um, for uh, some podcasts out there. So uh, certainly, Film Feast uh, is is worth checking out. Uh, a show every week, uh, usually focusing on on one movie, but uh, something different every time. Matt Bledsoe is the host of that podcast. Uh, a Lifetime of Hallmark. My uh, buddy Kurt Fitzpatrick and uh, a couple of his friends take a look at Hallmark and Lifetime movies. And, uh, of course, uh, Larry Parsons' uh, podcast, Rank and Review. And we're going to be having him on the, uh, the Shelf Shedding Movie Show very soon. And I will be back on his show uh, very soon as well. So uh, to that. So thank you so much. And uh, I uh, hope you uh, got some good movie recommendations out of this episode. And please continue to be safe and to be kind to one another. And uh, thank you so much. Take care. <laughs>